Station 2, San Jose Avenue. From our 901 Mission Street studios, you are listening to the San Francisco Chronicle. Welcome to the Daybook Podcast. I'm Tony Bravo. On today's podcast, we're talking about the new film Judy, starring Renee Zellweger as legendary performer Judy Garland in her final year. The film is directed by Rupert Gould and currently in theaters. I'm thrilled to be joined by two of my best Judys, which is a slang term inspired by Garland that means pal in the LGBTQ community. Film historian Lara Gabriel Fowler who has written extensively about Garland on her blog, Backlots, and performer Connie Champagne, who is famous in the Bay Area for her performances as Garland. Listen after this. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Hello, listeners. Toto, I don't think we're in the paper anymore. <laughs> we must be over the rainbow in the land of Chronicle Podcast. Today we'll be discussing the new movie Judy and the legacy of performer Judy Garland in the Bay Area and beyond. I'm joined today by two special guests. Lara Gabrielle Fowler is a film historian and writer based in the San Francisco Bay Area, specializing in Hollywood pre-1968. Judy Garland was her foray into classic film, by the age of 11, Lara had seen every one of her movies. At 13, she won a trivia contest at the Judy Garland Festival in Grand Rapids, Minnesota, and was interviewed for NPR about her knowledge of Judy Garland. She soon branched out into other classic film interests, beginning with Judy Garland's co-stars, and her expertise on classic Hollywood has led to her speaking at the San Francisco Silent Film Festival, the TCM Classic Film Festival, UCLA, and Hearst Castle. Lara has been writing her classic film blog, Backlots, since 2011, and for the past seven years, she has been writing a full-length biography of early film actress Marion Davies. Welcome, Lara. Thanks, Tony. Happy to be here. Our next guest, Connie Champagne, is a San Francisco singer, actress, and teacher, well-known in the Bay Area and beyond. Among other accolades, she's the winner of the SF Weekly Whammy Award for Outstanding Cabaret Performer. Connie is known for performing in the character of actress Judy Garland, including Christmas with the Crawfords in 2001 and Imagine Judy Garland, An Evening with Connie Champagne in 2003. She won a 2007 San Francisco Bay Area Theater Critics Circle Award for her role in Goodbye Yellow Brick Road and also earned Los Angeles's Ovation Award for Outstanding Performance by an Actress in a Musical, Judy's Scary Little Christmas. Hmm. Connie has shows coming up in November and December, solo, and with the country group Kissin' Cousins. Please welcome Connie Champagne. So glad to have you here, Connie. I, I, I'm so glad to be here, Tony. Oh, it sounds you, like Judy's darling. joined you. It's so marvelous. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> she just kind of came through, you know. It's so, kind of a crazy thing. Does that happen, Connie? We were just talking about how it's important to you that you not get labeled as a Judy Garland impersonator, which I never really think of you as, um, that you're an actress, that does a part um, and that's done a part um, several times. Um, do you find yourself just sometimes slipping into it? Like, is there a Judy mood that sometimes strikes? You know, it's funny that way. Um, I, If you're going to be typecast, it's wonderful to be typecast as a character that has so many facets and so interesting. And I've got, you know, I've had the opportunities to play her, young, old, dead, over the rainbow, you know, come back from the dead, which is what I normally do now, um, which is what I think we're going to talk about in this movie a little bit. She does kind of um, come back from the dead in <laughs> yeah, this movie. And, and or not, depending on how we feel. But I, but I, at first it was a little bit frustrating, 
but I feel like it's been a great gift to me, actually. Lara and I sometimes also will um, talk, and occasionally I know Judy will come out in our voices as longtime fans and as people that know like a certain set of references. Yeah, that's true. I think the word marvelous is very hard for me to say without thinking of Judy. Marvelous. Yes, Yes, exactly. The other one is, right? What's the other one? What? Wonderful. Oh, yeah. Those are the two. Yeah, yeah. yeah, she did say that. And, of course, all the Carnegie Hall references. We yeah. I so, know. I'll sing them all. Well, and we'll stay all night. <laughs> I don't ever want to go home. Yeah. We'll sing them all. Sure. So yeah. it was quite the experience seeing the movie Judy with both of you last week. It was a little bit like having Judy in stereo. I had two of you sitting next to me. I had Renee on the screen. Um, it, what did we, first of all, before we get into our thoughts on the film, I just have to ask, why do you think 50 years after Judy Garland's death, we are still talking about her? Um, Lara, let's start with you. You've written so much about her on your blog, Backlots. Yeah, it's a, it's an interesting question, and I think that there are many answers to it, depending on who you are and where you're coming from. I, th- I think that part of it is that, unlike almost anybody else, she had a way of speaking to people on their level. Uh, you you listen to her, and it's almost as if she's speaking right into your heart. Um, you know, the, the, the Carnegie Hall album, is, as we talked about before, the Carnegie Hall album is one example. You can listen to it. It's like she's singing just to you. And... And uh, at the palace, you listen to her talking to the audience. And one story that I, that I think speaks to this is a concert that she did in 1965 in Chicago. Uh-huh. She, she sang Over the Rainbow, and this was a time when, when her, her voice wasn't too great. She was having bouts of laryngitis. She was singing Over the Rainbow, and her voice gave out in the middle of Over the Rainbow. And instead of stopping the song, she told it. It gives me chills just thinking about it. She told the song as a story. So she, she acted spoke it. it. Yeah. And when you, the, the, it's, it's actually on YouTube. You can, you can hear the, this, this recording of her live in Chicago. When you listen to it, it you're in, enraptured by her telling you this story. She was a storyteller. Uh, and and she told her stories right to you, and so after fifty years, that's still that's still something powerful and relevant. Mm-hmm. Beautifully said, Thanks. Connie. So you have been performing the role of Judy Garland in different projects for about how long now? Well, if I'd told you that, it would you know give away all my secrets, Tony. After all, you wrote me a fan letter when you were in high school. And I now did. Now you're a big-time writer for the Chronicle, so I don't know what to say. But about your Judy work, actually, for your uh, album La Strada, which I still well, think is you. quite wonderful. Thank you. Um, no, I, I was cast, uh, to be honest, and I, I defer to both of you. I um, The only reason I know about Judy Garland to the extent that I do now is because I was cast in, as you said, Christmas to Crawfords in, in the early 90s by a fellow named Alan Sawyer, who was my collaborator for years and also worked on Goodbye Yellow Brick Road with me at New Conservatory. And he thought, you could do this. And the only time I'd really explored that was a, an extended characterization exercise I did at ACT with Larry Hecht, mm-hmm. who is a brilliant, um, he's an outside-in acting teacher, Jersey Kutowski, you know, egghead type. If you're really into acting, you will find this interesting. If you're not, it's boring. But um, I basically, Alan said, you could do this. And I said, but I don't look like her. I don't have brown eyes. You know, I, I don't even stand like her. I don't understand. He said, no, you totally could do this. 
So I just started looking at this. Um, also, it was Charles Ludlum's techniques, which is, mm-hmm. you know. Theater of the, the Ridiculous, yeah, right? Yeah, Scourge of Human Folly. He wrote that book. And it was all about outside in. And I had no idea how much you could find out about a character just from looking at the way they move. And one of the things that I noticed about Judy Garland is that she's left-handed, as I'm mm-hmm. sure you know. Yes. And she's always bringing her left side forward. This is your heart. This mm-hmm. is what's most vulnerable. So I'm like, I'm thinking about it. I was a big punk rock fan as a kid. And I went, who is the most vulnerable performer I can think of? And I thought, Iggy Pop. Wow. Iggy Pop. I turned, literally turned the sound down on video I had of Iggy Pop. And turned the sound down and, and Judy Garland. And I, I noticed it's exactly what you said. The way that her, that she looked into the audience as, as if she were singing only to you. And Iggy Pop has the exact same uh, delivery. Granted, it's a little crazier. And I, but I think if I had coffee with, well, they probably wouldn't want to have coffee. But if I did have coffee with Judy Garland <laughs> and Iggy Pop, I think they would agree. Because there's a tremendous courage about being vulnerable to an audience and we don't see that that much today That's and that was true. my beginning i think judy would love to have coffee with you connie <laughs> uh, i think she'd probably rather have coffee with iggy pop but yeah okay <laughs> he's cuter than me and i'd rather yeah. have a martini with all of you <laughs> right <laughs> so um judy garland's history here in san francisco is interesting peter hartlob our producer and special friend of the archives as i like to think of him brought out two files of Judy photographs from the Chronicle archives, which I think include things like the appearance that she did at the Kern Theater. Um, Lara, do you know a little bit more about that? Uh, it was, it was um, 1952. Uh, she did uh, an appearance at the, at the Curran, and it was, part of, uh, it was part of her palace tour. So she, she finished at the palace. She played 19 weeks at the palace. It was a record. Uh, after having been fired by MGM. Yeah, this was kind of her comeback tour, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, it was. Um, well, you've got to make a living, right? She's yeah. not making a living from MGM anymore, so she's got to go to work. One of many right. comeback concerts, actually. Yeah, yeah it's, a, it's a theme in her life, of course, you know, the, the comebacks that she made. But she she toured with her palace show uh, across the country, and one of those performances was at the Curran. And then one of the other big performances in the Bay Area that she did was towards the end of her life at the now demolished Circle Star Theater in San Carlos, which is a uh, Connie shedding a tear. I just saw that um, it was a, a very mid-century theater in the rounds, which I can just imagine um, Judy with people screaming on all sides of her. Oh, yeah. And I saw Liza there as wow. well oh, with, wow. with um, what's his name? Billy Stritch. Billy Stretch, yeah, yeah, her pianist. We saw that, and it was hilarious because my ex-husband and I were the youngest people in the entire place that weren't young men. Just saying. (laughs) (laughs) Are you hinting at Liza's gay following? I'm just saying. We'll we'll get to Judy's gay following. Friends of Dorothy are all good, you know. (laughs) (laughs) I can't imagine what it would have been like to have actually seen Judy live. I mean, we are all too young to have had the opportunity, sadly. But I think some of the hysteria of it, some of the just love that the audience had for her and that interaction you were talking about earlier, Lara, the storytelling, is evident by some of these photos where they're grabbing at her. And she's grabbing at them, too, it looks like. The hands are outstretched both ways. Yeah. One of the other really kind of, I think, obvious things we have to touch on if we talk about Judy in San Francisco is the fact that Judy, for many years in concert, did the very famous... Uh, Jeanette McDonald song, I San never Francisco. Will Jeanette McDonald. Yeah. <laughs> to think of her, it gives my heart a pain. Yeah, it's, it's fantastic. With an intro that you, you just <laughs> gave us a little bit of that was written yeah. especially for her in concert. So much fun to sing, too, by the way. So yes. my understanding of the story behind that is that this was, to um, borrow a term from the drag community, this was Judy throwing shade a little bit at Jeanette McDonald. You, who think, had been... you yeah. think a little shade? Just a tad. She always had a little bit of a, I don't, I don't want to say a... Uh, 
disdain for opera, but but she she liked to make fun of it. She liked to make fun of this operatic singing, of course, starting with Deanna Durbin. Yeah, exactly. And <laughs> she had an ir- irreverent sense of humor. I mean, that's irreverence is is Judy. Uh, that's her. I think yeah. that really comes through in the song too. The the final lyrics of her introduction are um, something like, um, "I'll never forget how Jeanette stood there in the ruins." And sang because, of course, the movie San Francisco, from which it's took from, it, taken from, is about the 1906 earthquake. And um, I think shortly after Jeanette sings that song, there is in fact a very large earthquake that quite literally brings down the house. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and Judy and Jeanette knew each other. I don't know if that's did they? What? What? Did, they, what well, what, they were at MGM together. Uh, obvi- yeah, yeah, of course, but. Do you know whether or not what their exchanges were? Or well, I do. Anything? Kn- I do know that um, that Jeanette always thought of Judy as a a little girl and called her little Judy till the end of her life. Oh, <laughs> Judy was only what four eleven. Yeah. So maybe it wasn't purely a. Hey, um, wait a minute! I resemble thing. that remark. Okay. <laughs> you are you are well into the five. Two no, I'm right? five feet. I'm taller than Judy, but I do wear the same shoe size. Apparently, a crazy and excuse me, I'm sorry, huh. an Uber, a, a very nice person who follows Judy a lot mm-hmm. said to me, "What size shoe do you wear?" And I said, "A five wide." And she said, "That's the same size as uh, the ruby slippers." So, but I yeah. have checked her house. You are not in possession of the missing ruby slippers. No, I'm not. Minor fakes. Still floating out there. Minor fakes from Mark Hustis, who hired me to do several um, uh, Judy tributes, which are pretty interesting. One was the flower pot lady from. Um, you probably know her name. I, oh, the Munchkin I don't. from the Wizard yeah, of Oz. Yeah, I did that one, and then we did John Waters' Christmas, which was kind of surreal. I don't understand the connection between John Waters and Judy Garland, but somehow I was in that one, too. Gay iconography, maybe? I I don't know. And then the other one was, of course, with Lorna Luft. And then I did a couple of other shows with Lorna as well. So I want to ask both of you what your first kind of encounters with Judy were before we get into the talking about the new film. Mm -hmm. Um, Lara, how did you discover Judy. I mean, we've talked about how you ended up at the fan festival very young, how you ended yes. up on NPR. Yeah. Do you remember what the first movie was that Judy was in that you saw or the first moment you kind of became aware of her? Well, I think as with just about everybody, the first movie I saw of her was The Wizard of Oz. And then Meet Me in St. Louis when I was very young. I think I was about four when I saw Meet Me in St. Louis. So she was always a part of me a bit, always sort of in the background. Then when I was 10, it was really was really when it started. My mom took me to a uh, bookstore, book and uh, music store, to pick up a tape to listen to on the way up to Sacramento for New Year's Eve. And I found a Judy Garland tape, best of the DECA years, you know, <laughs> uh, just sort of a generic little Judy Garland tape in the bargain bin. So my mom naturally got it for me, and we put it on in the car. And the first song on the tape was Dear Mr. Gable, You Made uh-huh. Me Love You. And I tell you, within the first two measures, I was in awe, just, just, so taken with that voice I cannot explain it what I've loved about hearing your um, relationship with Judy over the years as a subject as someone who's written about her and as a fan is that you've described her for you as a bit of a gateway into other classic film yeah and now your blog Backlots um, is very well known in the Bay Area for writing about classic film festivals yeah for writing about classic film on TV and even for tackling issues like uh, classic film figures in the present day news. Like you were in England not that long ago. Yeah. Because of the Olivia de Havilland, Ryan Murphy court case, I think. Yes. Yes, I was there. Um, what was that? Like, can you can you just fill us in a little bit on what the um, what brought you to England? Olivia de Havilland was in lawsuit with the FX company over yeah. the show Feud, right? Yes. And I was in close touch with the lawyers. Uh, and I was writing about the writing about the case for my blog and I was it became it was a little bit of a coup for my my little blog you know it's getting <laughs> uh, all of these these breaking stories uh, and 
and I was doing all of these these stories on Olivia de Havilland. Like I said, got very close to the lawyers, and I was invited to go to England for a lecture uh, on Olivia de Havilland that I helped a little bit with, and. It, yeah, it was it was a wonderful experience just to, to be there and to be there at, at Oxford. It was a lecture at Oxford about the Olivia de Havilland case. And I'm sorry, I'm confused. I guess I missed that. What was the case? Um, this was actually a case about Olivia de Havilland suing FX for how she was portrayed on Ryan Murphy's TV show. Oh, okay. I just love the fact that you go from 10-year-old little girl hunting for Judy Garland in the bargain bin to sitting at a lecture in Oxford about Olivia de Havilland, yeah. the 102... 103. Um, 103, yeah. excuse me. Um, last remaining star of Gone with the Wind that's still alive. Yes. Yep. Um, it's just an amazing journey for me and that Judy was kind of the starting point of all of that for you. Yeah, she was. It was, uh, you know, I was, like I said, just to sort of go back to Judy a little bit, I... Within the first two measures, I was I was taken. By the end of the car ride, it was that was it. You could sing them all. And you wanted to stay <laughs> that, all night. That was stay it. All I, night. I spent the all. yeah. I spent the car ride reading the insert. You know the insert of the, <laughs> oh, oh, the liner notes. You have to come yes. over for dinner sometime. We're going to have some dinner for sure. Yeah. So Connie, you have described yourself to me more than once as having been raised by drag queens. Unless I'm thinking <laughs> of some other Connie Champagne. Oh, um, I don't know. Was the Wizard of Oz your first introduction to Judy, or was it? I mean, given the fact that you were raised by drag queens, was it something? No. More more advanced. Sure, my 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 grand yeah, of course. Um, I'm a child of the '60s, and uh, yeah, I was always on television every year. And um, I remember auditioning for uh, The Wizard of Oz in high school. You know, my fir- I was a freshman, uh, but I didn't get Dorothy. But what was crazy? <laughs> no, I, I. But the, the at that time, and by the way, you both, be, all of you, will be relieved to know that there's now a second um, musical chart because the Wizard of Oz for Judy, she sings in her key, which she rarely sang above an A. She's a low alto. Mm-hmm. Okay, when people do it in community theater, it was written for a soprano. So then people would go to the show and they'd say. Well, she doesn't sound anything like Judy Garland, right? Or Dorothy. Because it's not written in the right key. And so I auditioned for it and I didn't get it. I got the head at Oz Lady, which was ha ha ha, ho ho ho, couple of tra la la's. You know, I was super happy. I was, you know, 13 years old. I was happy to be in the school play. But all the future gay boys in my new drama class at my new school all said that new girl she looks like Dorothy and she sounds like Dorothy why isn't she you know and I said you know don't do that I don't I I don't care um I didn't even understand that till till years you know years and years later and then I didn't really give it a second thought but that particular character came up a number of times and normally I was just kind of stepping away but when my friend Alan Sawyer asked me to do it in in 92 I think it was for Christmas Crawford's that's when I jumped on it and I went I really will work really hard to do this. So just to explain, um, Christmas with the Crawfords what, um, is a show that is about a Christmas Eve that's spent at Joan Crawford's house, right? right? based on a true, a real-life broadcast that Joan Crawford did with her children in the 40s, which and is really disturbing. And, you know, you, you guys can all find it on YouTube. It's easy to find. In their production at Artful Circle Theater... It uh, they took great liberties with it, <laughs> wherein a, a great number of people, different movie stars, were on their way to a, a party at Gary Cooper's house, who lives next door in their version to Joan Crawford. But they get lost and they wind up there, and Joan gets increasingly upset because everyone's you know stealing the limelight <laughs> from her. So I'm at my character in that. I was a supporting character, but I will tell you one of the really. And you were cr- Judy in that, right? Yes, 
Um, I also played Catherine Hepburn, although I have to say Matthew Martin did a much better job at Catherine Hepburn than <laughs> I did. But the time when it really um, came into focus for me as an actor was in December 2001, um, right after 9-11. I was doing it in New York. Um, the director was Donna Drake from Chorus Line. It, it was kind of a big deal. You had a rave in the Times. I you did. specifically did. Thank you. Yeah. Um, but what I recall about it was that our theater was not that far from Ground Zero. So I'd done it the year before in New York as well. Different audience, different time. But when I came in to do it that year, um, it was a very heavy thing. And when I came out to sing it for these folks, all the camp, all the artifice, everything drops. And I didn't move. I just sang Have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas to the folks that were there. And many of them had lost people in 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 that and it it definitely changed my mind around around how I was gonna play that character. And um, to pay tribute to what you just said, it, I wasn't the actor looking above someone's head anymore. I was looking into people's eyes and, you know, trying to really connect with them on that level. And I think that probably is when I really understood the power of that woman's honesty and vulnerability and, and ability to connect with people. And it's a great, like I said, it's a great gift to have. Before we talk about Renee's performance, Connie, I want to ask you, um, you've learned so much about embodying the woman, Judy, as a performer over the years. I'm curious if there was one tip you had to give somebody, perhaps even Renee Zellweger, about finding your way inside Judy Garland. Uh, what do you think it would be? Does it st- you told me that it starts outside inward for you, that you start with the outside. Yeah, I think you look at the way that she stands, the way that she moves, the, like we talked about, how, how she keeps herself physically vulnerable. Uh, I would also say pay a lot of attention to the, not, don't, don't, okay, so I gave you some, a little bit of vocal stuff just to, you know. But I didn't come at it from an impersonator's point of view. You know, I, I'm not. Who was the really famous drag? He was so great, was too. Jim Bailey? Yeah, or? Jim Bailey. Mm-hmm. I mean, I saw him as a kid, and I went, oh, my God. Because he came in as six foot tall. He looked like a linebacker. I don't know if you ever saw Jim Baylor. Yeah. Yeah. And, but you're 10 minutes into it and you're believing him. And the reason is because he could connect with that vulnerability. Right. So for me, but I never in my wildest dreams thought I could ever, you know, do that. I thought I was more like, well, I hope to be like, you know, I don't know, Bernadette Peters or somebody. I don't know what I thought. But the point is, when I finally figured that out, and it probably was, you know, in, 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 in 2001, when I finally figured out, oh, this is what it's about, it, it got bigger for me. So I guess what I would say is get real with it. Be, be the physical, right? Try to do, I think, Renelle, well, we'll get into it, but I think Renee Zellweger did a pretty good job. I just don't think the people involved in the production allowed her to go far enough. That is a perfect segue to talking about the film. Now, oh, you both look so eager to do this. <laughs> you can imagine what it was like sitting there in the screening with both of them. Um, I will defer to Lara. <laughs> okay. So first of all, I'm going to defer to my esteemed colleague, Chronicle film critic, Mick LaSalle. I want to just read you two quick opening lines from his review, which ran last week. A great movie was within reach with Judy, the new Judy Garland biopic starring Renee Zellweger. But the producers and creators made an epic mistake. They didn't use Garland's actual vocals. Instead, they let Zellweger pitch hit for Babe Ruth and ended up spoiling the movie. Otherwise, Zellweger is terrific. 
In all the offstage scenes, it's possible to believe you're looking at Judy Garland. And to the extent that Zellweger's own manner peeks through, that's a good thing. You don't want the actor to disappear entirely. Acting is not impersonation. Which I think yeah. ties in really nicely no, with I what to- you said, No, I totally Connie. agree. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so what do we think about the film? Let's start with what worked. Lara, I'm going to give you the floor first. Well, I think th- what worked... There were a few things that I think were done very well. Uh, one of them was the fact that, I, without spoiling the movie, uh, <laughs> without, I mean, spoiler alert, she spoiler died 50 alert, years right. ago. <laughs> uh, but, but the theme is that she always bounced back, which yeah. is yeah. which is true, and they. They show her in sort of the lowest of lows, and then they then they have her coming back, and she and she always came back, and that that's really the one of the main themes of Judy Garland's life. Connie, what worked for you? Well, I respectfully disagree with my esteemed colleague Lara. <laughs> I don't think they showed her at all in her. Uh, lowest of lows. I think all you have to do is look at Kenneth Anger's Hollywood Babylon and the actual untouched photograph of her a few you know months before she died. Um, the years of amphetamine abuse and um, you know alcohol abuse, whatever, uh, everything, and the fact that she. She never learned how to take care of herself. That's the bottom line. That was no a big one... recurring theme in it, I felt like. Right. Mm-hmm. So remind me again the original question. I feel, I feel like I'm having a Judy moment. Go ahead. Tell me what the What do you think worked in the film, Connie? Oh, what worked? Um, well, I think what, what Renee Zellweger is such a wonderful actor, first of all. I loved her in Cold Mountain. I've seen that movie, I don't know, 10 times probably. Um, she's great with dialects. She's She's got a great comic sense, which I think for me in this movie, the thing that a lot of actors play, including Judy Davis and, uh, you know, Me and My Shadows, which we could talk about all day yeah, and based things on that are Laura wrong with it. Book. Yeah, yeah. But the the thing that I loved about what Renee Zellweger does, she found her sense of humor, that wry sense of humor. It's in the script as well, mm-hmm. which is from that play, End of the Rainbow, yes. which is a lot darker, by the way, than the movie Judy is. If you actually look at that and look at the actor that played Judy in that, it's a little scary. But bottom line is, I I think what worked is Judy's sense of humor built with the pathos and vulnerability and uh yeah i want to pick up on that for a second i think that there were i think that there were hints of judy's humor in it uh they they certainly knew that she was a a witty person yeah but i don't think that they came close to the to the type of humor that she actually had. The woman had people on the floor laughing. You know, just, she was an absolute riot. And and you you can watch some of her, her shows from the 60s or the Jack Parr show. She was, she was so funny and, and quick that people who, uh, people who knew Judy well, uh, of, of course we don't, we don't know her IQ or anything if that's, you know, if that's anything to, to take. But people who knew her estimated her I, her IQ, if we're going to take take that, to be above one sixty. Uh, it was she was so smart and so so quick on her feet and so witty and funny. And I think that didn't come through as much as it as it could have. There were little hints. There were moments. There were some lines that I thought were like Judaisms, but yeah. maybe not all the way I there. think it was so much better than, than it's been done before, though, because I feel like, and, and you know, having spent some time with Lauren Luft and having read some interviews with Liza Minnelli, I, I feel like Liza Minnelli always says, people always miss that she was so funny. 
Yeah. None of the movies, I've, especially that horrible movie, what was it called with the little girl that played Annie, that one? Which? Andrea McCardle. Andrea McCardle, the, the TV oh movie. Oh, my God. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and it's like... I mean, in the Judy in the Judy Davis thing, I love Tammy Blanchard in it, but they still played it all for tragedy. I've never seen. This is the most. This is this is the closest. I, I totally agree with what you just said, yeah. by the way, Lara. But I just feel like this is the closest I've seen where they actually, you know, came a little bit towards getting it close. But even still, the tragedy in this movie, it, like I said, it didn't go far enough, perhaps in either direction, in terms of her wit and her brilliance and all the things that you just said, yeah. but also in terms of how bad it got. Mm. It needed to be, a, it needed to show it. And I feel like every time they make a movie like this, they just want to teach us who Judy Garland was. It's like, why don't you just make a movie about a person who had a really varied life? And it doesn't matter if you know who she was or if you knew that she was Dorothy in The Wizard of Oz or if you knew. Why does that matter? Why don't you just make it about the person? Because she had an extraordinary life. Was it a pro or a con for you that she did her Renee. own singing? Yeah, that Renee did her I think own it's singing. A, I think it is. Wow. What do I say, Lara? I don't know. Well, Lara, I think a- she was okay. I think, I don't disagree with Mickelsell. I almost never do, you know? Uh, he's a brilliant writer, and sometimes I disagree. But I didn't disagree with him. But I also think that him saying, you know, uh, would you dub Maria Callas? That's not fair. Because the truth is, if she was playing Judy Garland in the last six months of her life, then she would have a ragged voice, and she would sound, because she could, as Lara said, she couldn't, she had, quote-unquote, laryngitis, you know? She always had, she stayed up too late. She didn't get enough sleep. She didn't drink enough water. She didn't do all the things that they, you know, Mm -hmm. that they tell singers to do, okay? She didn't take care of herself, so maybe she, it was no because longer Because she pristine. never knew how. So the real way to do that character in the last six months of her life is to do it like that. But then they didn't want to do that because they thought, oh, contemporary audiences wouldn't understand that. Right? They have dubbed her voice in other projects about her before. And bringing up the example of Maria Callas, whenever they do the play Masterclass, those are recordings of dubbed. Maria I that saw, you hear Sure, singing. I saw Faye Dunaway do it, but... At the same time, <laughs> we didn't see Maria Callas the year, you know, a month before she died either. Yeah. And that, I think, is what people don't understand. You don't sing the same way. Yeah. You know? It's interesting because there are certain parts of there are certain parts of her career where she definitely, you know, she had those bouts of laryngitis. 65, 66, 67. But if you listen to her Copenhagen concert, she's actually in pretty good voice. Yeah, not bad. I agree. Um, yeah, so so it's it's kind of um, it's kind of up and down with Judy. Mm-hmm. But but um, if you wanted to ask uh, about, yeah, is that what you were getting? Was at? it a plus for you that she did her own singing or a minus? It's Your facial expression me. says minus. By the way, <laughs> it's it's hard for me to say exactly because. I think that I would have been upset to, to hear Judy's voice coming out of Renee Zellweger. But at the same time, it was hard for me to hear Renee Zellweger singing Judy's songs. Wow, that's so well put. That's exactly right. Because, because um, especially Over the Rainbow. Yes, which plays a big part in this film. Yes, especially Over the Rainbow. I, I have a really difficult time hearing other people singing Over the Rainbow for better for worse i'll sing Uh, it to you on the way home you'll be okay uh it's um it's it's just it was such a sacred song Mm -hmm. uh between between judy and her audience it creates a very sacred moment in the film too um speaking of her audiences something that all three of us reacted to very strongly in the screening was um a probably apocryphal scene 
where she where Judy Garland goes and invites herself to dinner with two very dedicated gay fans that have come to right. a number yeah. of the performances oh, that yeah. she's doing. And yeah. I thought it really hit on, even though it was probably fictional, this relationship yeah. that she had with marginalized people, specifically with her gay audiences. Yeah. Uh, and yet, and, in the Barbara Walters interview, she definitely, I think, in her thinking, because don't forget, back in those days, in many places, it was illegal to have consensual sex between, you know, same-sex partners. So, you know, so you can look at it a couple different ways, that she may have been protecting people, but she also said she vehemently denied it, and that is on record. Denied so having gay fans or deny having she gay She denied audiences. her friends were, or her fans, excuse me, not her friends, her fans were gay. She did. I think it was complicated, yeah. It was, I think I It was agree. a different time. And, and, uh, and Judy, you know, if you know about, about, about her politics and things like that, she was a very tolerant, very progressive yep. uh, person, but it was a different time. Yeah, and uh, allegedly she not married to mention. A of I was just going to say, <laughs> allegedly. You know, <laughs> I the part the the thing that I would have loved to have seen in this movie, if I can share it with you, is a part that was that they kind of alluded to a little bit in the movie that we saw, but it's in Lauren Luff's book, uh, Me and My Shadows, where Judy was married to or not? I don't even think was she married to Mark Heron? They yes. never. Yeah. She was. Yeah. Okay. Husband so they number were, four, I think. Yeah. Maybe. Okay. So yeah. cool. So they're in Ho- uh, Hawaii. Yeah. And um, she gets mad at him, and 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 legend has it that he had an affair with Liza's future husband, Peter Allen. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't and, know that. Oh one. yeah. And I actually I was in the West Coast premiere of of uh, a Boy from Us. Yeah. That's right. Yeah, I was. But um, playing Judy. Yeah. Who else? Well, Liza. So, did, so you could branch out and do Liza. Oh at some no, point. honey, I'm a little beyond that now. Um, no, that was Cat show and she did it amazing. Cat, if you're out there, you were great. Um, but yeah, so apparently, um, Judy got mad at Mark Heron for some reason, and uh, Lorna writes that she and uh, her brother Joey were coming home from their surf lesson in Hawaii, and there's their mom, and she's sitting there all made up, which she never was, you know, with sunglasses on and reading a movie magazine, and they can smell smoke. And at that moment, Steve McQueen leaps over the fence and is trying to put out the fire. And Judy Garland says, Steve, why don't you just wait for the fire department to come like normal people do? Everybody was like, what? Well, as it turned out, she was mad at Mark Heron. She set his closet with his clothes on fire. What she didn't realize was that the closets were all connected. So she didn't just ruin her Mark Heron's clothing. She also ruined her children's clothing and her own. And then she was really mad. See, that's the scene in a movie about Judy Garland that I would like to see. Because that's the fires. real Judy Garland. <laughs> but I would I would go buy tickets to that movie. Absolutely. One of the other things that we've all talked about a little bit is the idea that Judy is a figure that you're introduced to early on as a child, frequently through The Wizard of Oz mm-hmm. um, or through Meet Me in St. Louis, and that you can kind of grow and um, grow into your fandom of her. There's things that you can discover about her. There's... 40 years at least of material of Judy Garland. So do we think with that in mind, with the popularity of Sing Along Wizard of Oz here in San Francisco, with Connie Champagne doing performances as Judy Garland in San Francisco, and with the movie Judy now in theaters here in San Francisco, do we think that Judy is going to continue to have a legacy and that the real Judy will continue to be discovered by future generations? I certainly hope so. The Wizard of Oz will live on. It's just something that people watch during during their childhoods. It still it still is uh, with you know young people today. People today watch The Wizard of Oz just as we did. And 
one thing that this movie has the potential to do is to introduce Judy to people who might not know her from anything other than The Wizard of Oz. Young people who might not know her from anything The Wizard of Oz, or older people who might not know her from anything but The Wizard of Oz. And I wish, though, I wish that they could see a different a different Judy, a Judy who was not th- this way all the time. She had her she had her lows. We know that. But the humor, the intelligence, the connection that she had with her, they have a little bit of that in the movie, the connection that she had with her audience. Mm-hmm. But but it was sacred. I mean, people talk about about going to Judy Garland concerts is like going to church. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And and that is what I would like people to know and to hold about Judy, not not the problems at the end of her life that were sad and and I hate the word tragic when it comes to, to Judy. People use it to, way too much. You want them to think about the rainbow and not the rainbow's end, as it were. Yes. Connie, um, what do you think? I get you. Um, the first time I ever did uh, you know, a, a concert as Judy as opposed to um, in a play. I remember, I because I was playing an older Judy Garland, and I remember, you'll appreciate this, Lara, <laughs> this little girl showed up, and, you know, it wasn't, I guess it was Valentine's Day uh, at Piaf's. Dan Kristen, uh, yeah. yes. And so this little girl showed up, and there I am in my, you know, older Judy Garland drag, and she was horrified because <laughs> she didn't see Dorothy, you know. And there I am, and I'm thinking, oh, I didn't, I didn't even think that children would show up to this. Uh, <laughs> That's kind but, <laughs> of a Judaism almost in itself. <laughs> well, I mean, this is this really happened. So um, I tried. Uh, throughout the show, you know, you're thinking as an actor, how can I? And by the end of the show, she was great. You know, she held my hand. I'm singing over the rainbow to her. And I realized that that connection does extend and that she could hear it in that way. Um, Insofar as this production goes, Lyra, I think... Maybe there are three or four movies that could have been made out of this life. Yeah. The one that they told us they were making was based on the play End of the Rainbow. Right. And if you really look at that, you look at the British actress that I believe she's British. I might be wrong. You'd know better than I would. But that woman took it all the way. This movie tries to play it both ways and I think as a result it it fails in that respect she doesn't have the powerhouse vocals that we want from what what you you're talking about Judy mm-hmm. she also doesn't have the weakened vocals that were real for the last six months of her life and I think when we're looking at a human being looking at the whole thing and I'm okay. I'm okay with looking at from her from, you know, two years old when she's baby gum to, to 1969 with Mickey Deans and she's passing away after, after her uh, Talk of the Town concerts. I think we have to be real about it, though. And that's what I did not... That's what I felt this movie... I wish that this movie had been a little bit more. A little bit more real, I think it needs to be. They, it, it seemed that they could have afforded to do a bit more uh, research into that part of her life and and what she was doing, what she was not doing. Before so, we totally wrap up, there's yeah, one it's out there, really guys. It's them. out there. You can see it. There's an Amsterdam concert on YouTube. Guys, it's you know it's there. You've seen it, haven't you? Right, Lyra? 
I mean, Which it's... Which era are we talking about? It, we're talking about just a few months before she passed away. Yeah. It's a Mickey Dean's produced um, concert that she did. I believe it was in Amsterdam. Mm-hmm. And you can hear her voice on it. And it, you can hear how she's struggling, you know, but she's got to make a living. And as you said, she never gave up because she had kids. She had to earn a living. And that's what motivated her. Well, what's wonderful is that so much of that material is available of the real Judy Garland on yeah. YouTube for new generations to look at. Before we wrap up, there was one error that I think really irritated all three of us. <laughs> there was portrayed uh, when Judy has a moment with her daughter, Liza Minnelli, in the film. Um, that oh, I just think <laughs> that error <laughs> we have to just comment on as three people that know a little something about Judy Garland. Yes, she refers to Judy as mom. mom. In no, the film. no, well, no. but in the movie she says mom. No, never. Yeah, you're yes. right. Judy totally. Says, Liza always called her mama. 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 Oh, yeah. yeah, the kid, the kids. Mama. All three of them, mama. Any yeah. drag queen just barely like into their first wig could tell you right there that Liza called her mama, and so mama. did Lorna and Joey. Yeah, always. Yeah. I want to thank but- you both, both my dear Judys, my friends of Dorothy, <laughs> for being here today to talk about this movie and to talk about Judy. I know we could do another. We could. It could be a mini series of us talking about Judy. Yeah. Like we would like to eventually see about Judy. Yes. Um, before we go, you can catch Lara at www.backlots.net. Do you have anything exciting coming up on the blog, Judy-related? Well, I'm going to be talking about this movie. <laughs> um, I so can't if wait. You, yeah, so if you uh, want to tune in, as it were, for that. And Connie, do you have your Christmas show as Judy coming up again this season? I do, actually. I'm going to be November 14th at Feinstein's with... I'll be as Judy as the ghost of Christmas past, apparently, or as past, Judy might say. I've got to work on it. I've got a month. <laughs> um, and yeah, with Denise Perry and Kim Nally, November 14th. And I'll also, look. it's looking like uh, Martoonies in December. It will either be 21st and 22nd and perhaps also New Year's Eve. We'll wow. see. So we have some opportunities to see you as Judy. Yeah, you know, it's the gift that keeps on giving. What can I say? Thank you, Judy. Well, speaking of gifts that keep on giving, I feel like we end up quoting Judy movies or Judy herself a lot. So let's do it one last time. Let's click our heels together <laughs> three times. Say there's no place like date book. <laughs> there's no, there's no place, place like date book. There's no place. Wait, is date book my home? Wait, I'm a little confused. Help me. Oh, right. I'm home. I am home. For the San Francisco Chronicle <laughs> date book section. Sorry, I'm Lara. Tony Bravo. <laughs> Connie, Lara, thank you so much for being here today. Thank you, Tony. Thank you, Tony. You are listening to the San Francisco Chronicle. Thank you to Tony Bravo and his guests, Connie Champagne and Lara Gabrielle Fowler. Our producer today is me, Peter Hartlob. Supervising producer is King Kaufman. Executive producer is Tim O'Rourke. And our editor-in-chief is Audrey Cooper. Music is Midnight Special by Ease Jammy Jams. Read our columns and subscribe to The Chronicle at www.sfchronicle.com. Chronicle podcasts are on Apple Podcasts and other streaming services. Listen at www.sfchronicle.com slash podcasts with an S. 